0: Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. No, I can't do the under lighting. It's not bright enough for the spooky <laughs> Halloween edition. <laughs> uh, I try. I try. <sighs> and I can be very trying at times. Mr. Harvey will attest to that. Um, <laughs> yep,
0: yeah, maybe. Sure. Okay. <laughs>
1: Mrs. Boss will not uh, probably, well, you know, I say that, she might, maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the H2O Podcast, my name is Jason Hunt. And I am Timothy Hervey. And this is the Halloween episode. I should turn the lights off, I should turn the lights off, so we can get that dark. Scary stories in the dark. Let me let me do that. I think I think that'd be kind of fun. Of course, unfortunately,
0: with the light from the screen, that really makes me—I um, oh, don't know—a little
1: ghostly as I trip over things as uh, as I come back. So let me uh, let me throw that up. So I'm a little bit brighter. There we go. There we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program. Thanks very much for joining us. So um, we crossed a threshold today. We have now over fifteen hundred subscribers on our YouTube channel, and Excellent. a lot of that I, I have uh, I have to thank Peter Semetti. We were uh, I was able to jump on his open mic Monday earlier uh, today. And uh, since we've interviewed a number of creators that are publishing over at Alterna Comics, I was able to talk, to, talk about that. So, we have some new subscribers. Welcome, everyone. And uh, we're, uh, we're over 1,500. We crossed that threshold and I think it'll hold, maybe. I don't know. It's It bounces back and forth. We have, you know, we'll get two and we'll lose three and we'll gain one and lose one and get two and, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if it's YouTube or if it's just people changing their minds or what. But anyway, but yeah, we are now 15, 15.05 is what, it, uh, is what it shows here. So that's uh, uh, now 15.06. Which is ten more than we had uh, about an hour ago, so I'm I'm happy with that. Take it. So we'll take it, yeah, for as long as we get to keep it. So <laughs> anyway, all right. So tonight we are broadcasting both to our YouTube channel and to our Facebook page. It's a it's a new gadget uh, that I was able to install in the computer uh so a little little piece of code little pro uh a uh, plug in that we put in so if you want to watch us on facebook now you can so uh, so anyway so yeah tonight uh we had talked about a, a couple of different things but you know this being the halloween week and uh next week being <laughs> the election i mean scary stories all around so um uh, and a programming note: We are going to take me- next Monday off, uh, so we can uh, uh, gather our snacks and and kind of you know plan for Tuesday's election coverage because we're not going to be anywhere near anything to mo- on that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we are going to take next week off. And, uh, and th- vote, by the way, and whatever vote. Whatever, yes.
0: whatever your whatever your political beliefs are. Yes. Get out and vote. Make your voice heard. That's what it's for. Yes, we, we, can dis- in- we can disagree on a lot of things, but we should agree on that. That it's both, it's a way that we can actually make yeah. our voices heard.
1: It is an toward- important part of being a citizen of the United States. It is a exactly. it is a, a responsibility that some people don't quite take as seriously as they should. I uh, so. I will
0: I will not object. I would not object to it making voting day a national holiday. And just saying, here it is, guys. You've got the day. Yeah. Go. But, you know. I'm not,
1: I'm, I'm still, vote. I'm still not quite sure how much that would benefit the process. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I might not, so.
0: Considering the percentages that actually people who do actually go out and vote, uh, no. I, I would, I would say give it a shot. But, um, you know, do go vote, whether, whether you're, whatever, whatever means you can, whether it's absentee or early or in person, make your voice heard.
1: Yeah, definitely. All right. So, uh, um, scary stories. Do we? Uh, well, I do have I do have a couple of envelopes that have not opened yet. Do we want to do a real quick unboxing and open some presents? Sure. Shall we? Why not? Shall we? Why not? Because um, we were going to do a test on. Um, on Sunday, uh, when we were setting up for the final night of Walking and Rolling, uh, we were going to do a test where we were going to, you know, hook up a DSLR to Mindy's laptop and put it on a hotspot to see if that setup would oh, would sure. work. And then, of course, things got really crazy, and we ended up not being able to do it. So, I have been sitting on these for a couple of days. So let's open. Sound effects uh, for those listening to us as a podcast, because you know nobody can see this if you're listening to the audio file. So, Theater of the Mind. Theater of the Mind. All right, this is a book uh, by Christopher Lane. It is called Screens. Hmm. That's a spooky-looking cover. Yeah. Yeah, this might be in your wheelhouse. Let's see here. Anyone who has wondered what info their devices are collecting (laughs) will be freaked out by this chilling near-future dystopia. That's that's how the... The paperwork Mm -hmm, reads. mm -hmm. Uh, Reading from the press release. We have all wondered if our devices are listening to us or if the government can see into our homes through the cameras on our phones, iPads, or monitors. Hi, FBI guy. All right. But what if that was the least of our worries? In a chilling and creepy near future, physical printed manuscripts begin appearing to a select group of suspicious and seemingly unconnected readers. The documents reveal motives much more sinister than advertising or government surveillance in screens. Okay, so this is a dark sci-fi uh, a manuscript appears which describes a horrific presence feeding off humanity through our screens. The ultimate goal of destroying all life on Earth. Uh, those that re- those that read the manuscript have either been murdered, have disappeared, or have completely disconnected themselves from all digital communications. So it is horror, dark science fiction, a study of addiction. Hmm and uh, particularly our modern addiction to screens and digital media. That actually sounds pretty interesting along the lines of some of the stuff that we've talked about here about social media and whatnot. So, um, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat says, uh, Who is the pale-looking vampire guy where Tim normally is? (laughs)
0: Uh, Well... I have a confession to make. I've been dead <laughs> all along.
1: Uh, is my shot too dark? I mean, it really is. It's well, that...
0: compared to mine, I mean, mine's really blown out because the light from the the light from the Mac just yeah really.
1: <laughs> we we are not sparkly. <laughs> no difference. Yeah, Mrs. Boss says we are not sparkly enough. I'm going to go ahead and turn my light back. Oh, All right, now we're back to normal. That's you know, well-ish, normal-ish. All right. Fine, normal. Normal for us. Okay, All for right. us. So, so we have another. We have another envelope. Sure. All right. A little rustling here. It is press release there and the book. A novel by award-winning author Bill Thompson. It is called The Bayou Hauntings. The Proctor Hall Horror. Mm-hmm. Alright, so this. <clears throat> you got two of them here that that you can read and review. Alright, so let's see. The Proctor Hall Horror, book seven of The Bayou Hauntings. So... But, you know, it seems like just on the face of it, just looking at it, it looks like this is an anthology. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's book seven, but it's it's like the alphabet stuff from Sue Grafton. So they're individual stories and they're not connected to each other. They might have the same characters in it. But this this looks like it could be something like that. All right. So uh, new book in Supernatural Saga explores a chilling family murder mystery haunting the bayou. Critically acclaimed paranormal author Bill Thompson invites readers back to the Bayou for another classic ghost story that focuses on a frightening family affair spanning over generations in the Proctor Hall horror. 1963, uh, near Thibodeau, Louisiana, a 14 year old boy is found sitting quietly on the stairway in his family home known as Proctor Hall. In the sitting room nearby is a horrible crime scene. His mother, father, younger sister's bodies are sitting on the couch, decapitated. Mm. That's probably going to get us demonetized, with their heads neatly arranged on the mantel. At least the killer's feet. <laughs> As the boy refuses to say a word, he is charged with the crimes, but deemed unfit to stand trial. After decades locked away in a mental institution, he's released excuse me, goes to the only place he knows, back to Proctor Hall. Uh, It's an uh, investigative team, uh, students who believe the house is abandoned, unaware of the secrets and guest that awaits them, and what's supposed to be an intriguing class project turns into an unimaginable tragedy. Oh, dear. Yes, famous paranormal TV personality Landry Drake goes to the house to investigate the crimes and unravel the truth. Before the dark things inside Proctor Hall claim more lives, <laughs> So that sounds that sounds pretty interesting. So two, it actually fits the theme tonight. Two scary stories in our unboxing for tonight, and I think probably between between you and uh, and Mrs. Walker, maybe we've got some stuff here that y'all can read and review in between doing all of the episodes for the new show that we've got coming up maybe so. Shall we <laughs> tell people about that show? Let me uh, let me pull this up here. It is called I think I've got Where's my where's my Where's my screen? I have a monitor screen there. But we've got to change it to that one. There we go. It is called Foreign Bodies. The premiere episode is this Saturday. October thirty first, Halloween. We haven't figured out a time yet, but that is coming this weekend. Tim Harvey and Leslie Walker talking about horror from outside the United States. It's going to be a very interesting conversation. I think you're uh, yeah. you're you're going first in uh, uh, Russia. I think is the beginnings so- of this
0: right so we start up in Russia and the idea behind the show basically is of course, is that horror is not just a, a English language or American British uh, uh, there's not there's a market for it all over the world and while of course we are all very more familiar with our own native language or native cultures uh, horror films, there's an incredible amount of stuff that comes in from foreign shores and if you have grown up with horror films, if you uh, love horror films, then you have probably exposed yourself to some of those. You know the Italian horror, the Spanish horror, but there's of course every country with uh, the, any kind of filmmaking passion uh, has horror films, and yeah. some of them are fantastic, and some of them are not, uh, <laughs> and some of them are just really, really interesting, and they have an influence on American uh, filmmakers. Yeah, you know. Um, The folks who go out and make the films that we love watch movies and they watch a lot of movies and they're heavily influenced. And when you consider that, some of the greatest, you know, how many British filmmakers are, you know, huge, you know, the blockbuster hits in the US, Uh, Guillermo del Toro, of course, uh, from Mexico, you know, there are lots of filmmakers who bring their own culture and experience to the stories they're telling even if they're making American films. So we thought we would reach out in the world. And the cool thing is, is that both Leslie and I really enjoy foreign films and foreign horror. And she made this really cool spreadsheet with <laughs> this, all these countries and all these films. And on one hit, it's really cool to see how many films I've seen. And then to realize there's so many more. So this is what's cool about this is that we're going to be able to talk about the films that we love that are horror films that we've seen from other countries, but also see new films and explore stuff we've never seen before and get a chance to talk about it.
1: Well, and so that's, starting with Roy. that's the that's the beauty of it is that you can look at because, you know, as much as we sit here and talk about all the different stuff that we've seen, there's all of this other stuff out there that we're in a bubble mm-hmm. and, and people may not even be aware, not even, not even in the mindset to think about doing that other stuff. I don't know. A lot of, a lot of it sometimes has to do with, uh, fighting subtitles. I don't want to listen to a foreign language cause it, it throws me off. It's a distraction. I can't read the stuff on the bottom. It goes by too fast. All of these, there's all of these different excuses why people don't watch foreign films. Mm-hmm. But there is, I think, a, a lot of value, uh, depending on what genre you enjoy, of course. but I think there's a lot of value to watching films from other countries, from someplace, other cultures, especially, mm-hmm. because of the of the difference of viewpoint. there's there's, you know, a frequent a frequent example that I pull up is the End of Mash. Where Klinger finally get you know finally asks Sunli to marry him, and he's got the he's got the bride's dress. he's got the wedding dress that he used to mm. wear when he was trying to get his section eight discharge. and he opens up the box and she's all excited because you know, yes we you want to get married and whatever. and he opens up the box and it's this white dress and she just blows a gasket and runs off crying in tears and and just is devastated and, and, and Klinger's like, what did I do? And in Korea, white is the color of mourning. Is what you wear to funerals, not weddings. And so the the cultural perspective is so completely different. And you get some of that and you get a chance to appreciate some of that when you're looking at foreign films. Not just yeah. horror films, but any any kind of foreign film. And I think it's I think it's good every now and then to to get exposed to stuff like that.
0: Well, I, I, I we both Leslie and I agree with that immensely. And just you know, while yes, opinions may vary, we are by the way both big proponents of watching it with subtitles because you get the original language and the original expression of the actor's voice. Yeah, which there are some very very good dubs out there. Dubbing has actually become a thing that people really pay attention to. Uh, Princess Mononoke really was the, the, the turning point for that. Prior to that, unfortunately, dubbing did not was not consistent remotely uh, <laughs> when it came to, to getting a good dub. And so we both feel, and again, it, it's gonna depend on your own viewing preferences, that if you can get that, capture that tone of voice for the original actor, a lot of times, even if it is a language you don't speak, you can get a little more out of the performance Right. Um, and certainly um, most of the time, subtitles are more accurate. Not always, but more <laughs> accurate than the dub, at least, at least in the older films. So, But anyway, we start off with Russia. Uh, we're going to go to Spanish films after that, um, and then we'll see where we're going to go. There's a whole world of horror out there.
1: Well, and I think the other thing, too, is depending on the time frame, uh, some of the later, some of the more modern animes have uh, fallen under some scrutiny, some uh, some criticism, because the dubs, uh, or, or yeah, the dubs have, the translations have injected some American politics into Japanese anime and people are sitting there going, Why would you do that? Because it's not in the original story. You throw that in there. So I I'd say, yeah, the the, the subtitles and getting the original language and, and stuff are probably the preferred part because you you run less of a risk that the meaning of the scene is going to change with the translation.
0: Sure. Well, something that ends up being context too, and that's one of the interesting things that we were seeing when we were looking at the, the Russian films. Yeah, um, is that you knowing the cultural context of the movie, where it fits in the history of that country, what time period they're talking about, can real give you another layer. We there's a film that we talk about, um, and it's set right after the fall of the Soviet Union. There's a definite tone to the Russian culture at that time. And the film is drenched in that tone. I mean, you know, it, it, it's opened up a vein and there's that tone is just spraying all over the place and you know, <laughs> blood loss. It's, yeah. uh, it, 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 it matters to the storytelling. So that's some of the things we're, we're looking at are not just looking at the film itself and enjoying the film itself, hopefully, but also looking at what that film is, where that film fits culturally. Sure. And perhaps historically, and for example, Russia has a relatively short period of time for horror films because the Soviet union was not a fan. Yeah. So they have a, as opposed to American horror, it goes back to the 1920s. Um, but uh,
1: I would and, be, uh, I would be interested to see because, you know, like you said, the Soviet union, There wasn't a whole lot of horror that came out of that. But if you look at from the cultural context, I think it would be interesting to see just how much and in what ways Russian filmmaking, and you could go all the way back to, you know, uh, 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 Battleship Potemkin for something like this, where you look at what it was like then, Mm -hmm. versus what it's like now and what has changed in terms both of what kinds of stories can be told and the cultural context for those stories because it will be reflected in what kind of films that they make and Mm -hmm. what they what they feel like they can get away with now Um,
0: well yeah and i think that one of the things that we saw um and again don't want to get into too much because we want you to Watch Foreign Bodies and hear us talk about it at length there. Yes. Um, one of the things we've noticed is that, is that when some of these films, the, the, the more they are in the modern era, the more American filmmaking is influencing them, too. Sure. And for good and
1: for ill. And we haven't, we haven't shot our filmmakers for making bad movies. So there's that.
0: Well, that's always a win, <laughs> um, I think, uh, as, as, as someone who has made at least one bad film.
1: Um, <laughs> well and this is a this is an opportunity for us to talk about one scary story that we made that's still kind of sitting out there hanging over our heads the 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 adaptation that we did of uh, the statement of randall carter mm-hmm. one of these days well you know we ought to we ought to you know for a limited time
0: for fans of sci-fi for me we should post it and let them let them see well it. Didn't,
1: we, didn't we didn't we didn't we played that as part of this show at one point did we not I thought we did. I was thinking. I think we did way back when. Yeah, we'll have to dig that out and see. But yeah, I think I would. I would. You know, nowadays with as much time, free time as I have on my hands, (laughs) um, I would. I would say at some point, one of these days, I. I would be interested in maybe getting back into uh, filmmaking, but it. It takes up so much time, and so much, really so much prep, and and everything that we do here, you know. I'm I'm not getting enough sleep as it is. So like, you talk about. Oh, I know. You know, scary stuff. Not not getting enough REM sleep.
0: I have I have four scripts. This was this was the year that I was actually planning on trying to get back into making some films, uh, and I have four scripts I'm sitting on that uh, one of which I'm really excited about making. And had began to have discussions with people, and and then COVID hit, and yeah. of course everything ground to a halt. So, and I am not willing to put. Well, it would be very very hard to tell the story I want to tell, and be as safe as I'd like to be yeah. for everybody involved.
1: Well, and that's the other thing that I'm that I'm concerned about as far as what Hollywood. And independent film and everything looks like going forward because you can bet, because we've already seen it, you can you can bet solid money on the fact that there are going to be so many pandemic, wear a mask, scary movies, disaster films that come out of this. And we're just going to get one after the other, after the other, after the other. It's, a, it's almost like when we got three Lolita films at the same time, we got four Christopher Columbus films all at the same time. We're going to get pandemic disaster dystopia films for probably another year and a half after all of this is done.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, is that as much as I can enjoy a good disaster movie or, or, or even a good pandemic movie, uh, of course, we're getting this, you know, the stand is coming out yeah. and it is at its core. It's, you know, yes, it's a battle between good and evil, but at, at its core of its story is a worldwide pandemic yeah. that destroys a significant chunk of humanity. Most zombie films are actually pandemic stories.
1: You watch. We're going to get mask NATO. Okay. <laughs>
0: um, but the thing is, is that I have while well, I have uh, been lucky enough to not have anyone close to me die from covid yeah um i have i do have family who knows people who have friends of my friends of my parents passed away from covid so i'm i really don't want that Um, i think i think we're still living i understand the i understand the 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 desire in in the filmmakers beating heart but i don't want it
1: yeah well, I can looking, understand. I
0: don't I don't need a movie about it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's coming. There's several coming. I mean, I mean Full Moon Pictures did one. It came out in April right after the lockdown started. So, I yeah, mean, well, we've already we seen that, it. All of that.
0: We reviewed that over on Zompocalypse Apocalypse now, and we actually had a couple of good things to say about it. <laughs> um it's 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 a terrible movie, but we actually laughed. So there's a win, I
1: guess. <laughs> sure. <laughs> But, it's a, you survived it.
0: Okay, so generally speaking, I find even really bad movies um, don't have much of a fatality rate. Yeah. Careers they have been known to kill careers. Yes, <laughs> but uh, I've seen a lot of bad movies, and uh, I'm still here. So
1: you know, it's kind of funny. Speaking of that, I'm I I keep looking at our numbers for our shows. Mm. And the watch numbers and the and the download numbers for the audio podcast and that kind of thing are are kind of going down. And I'm thinking, OK, at what point are are we what point are we, you know, are we killing our careers here? So, uh, you know, maybe maybe with these new subscribers, we'll get a whole new fresh. There we piece go. Of energy.
0: you guys are tuning in and, and yeah. checking out the show. All
1: right. So so scary. Stories. I'm not, you know, and we've talked about this before. I'm not big on horror, mm-hmm. so I haven't really watched too terribly much of that. Uh, well,
0: let me ask you a question: Have you seen Predator?
1: I have not seen the first one. I've seen the second one with Danny Glover. Right. I've seen Alien versus Predator, uh, and those and those films. I, I did I see Jason versus Freddy? I don't think I did. I've seen a couple of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Um, when I was in a high school on occasion on the, you know, at the band, you know, the marching band would have the party after the football game. Right. And they'd sure. have, they'd have a slasher flick on, you know, Friday the 13th or something like that on one of the TVs. Right. So, you know, peripherally I could see a little bit of some of that, but uh for the most part uh no I it's it's not been my thing. I have not seen Predator. I have seen Alien. I've seen I've seen all of the Alien films. Um not sure how much of a badge of honor that is with some of those. Um The first Terminator, hold up. Yeah. The first two do. do, do. Yeah. Uh, Terminator Terminator's not really a horror film. Well, maybe it, it's it, it's a maybe monster movie maybe.
0: So I think that I think that one of the things you have to think about when it comes to horror films and science fiction films is that they both spring from the same place. Both of them are the children of Frankenstein. Yeah. And for you know the while most people I think tend to think of Frankenstein as a horror story, if you look at a Shelley novel, it is very much a science fiction and a horror novel. It's very much about the perils of science and the boundaries we push, <laughs> yeah. and the choices we make, and there are consequences and things. And really the modern horror film, especially if it's tinged with science fiction or a science fiction film that has a lot of horror, is not just an outgrowth of that. And I think there's a lot of horror films that people tend to lean into the horror side of it and not necessarily think about the science fiction side. The Invasion of the Body Snatcher movies, they're alien invasion movies. Yeah. And people tend to, and, and and that's fine. I think that if you, you can approach them from a couple of different ways. And if you're a horror fan, you can really lean into the horror aspects. But if you're a science fiction fan, that's their event horizon which did not do well. We're getting a lot of buzz now, of course. It became a cult classic. You know, it's getting a TV series, all these things. It's the, you know, you can actually say it's a good Paul W.S. Anderson movie. Sure. Which is not a thing you get to say a lot. (laughs) Um, In personal opinion, you can like his films. It's it's okay to do. Uh, But it's a science fiction movie. And it's a horror Mm film. You know, Alien is a science, you know, it's kind of, Alien is the modern parent to, to them all, really. I mean, right. you look at, you know, the, the combination of here's a science fiction story and they find an alien and then it turns into a haunted house you can't leave story and a base under siege story and a little of crafty and, you know, horror story. Yeah. But it's a science fiction story at its, at its core. It's man venturing out into the universe, not knowing what's out there. And what's out there has teeth. Yeah,
1: finding something very, very, very bad. Um, Europa Report. I have seen that one. Mm-hmm. Europa uh, Report, yeah. That's, one, uh... Uh, that one I would say probably counts as science fiction horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I would agree. I have not seen Apollo 18.
0: I have. I can't recommend it. It doesn't... It's a little too contrived it, i mean it it feels writerly yeah and and, I, and that's not you know if you can feel the hand of the rider turning you know on your shoulder guiding you it's it's mm-hmm. that's not a good thing you know i'm sure some folks enjoyed it but i found it to be
1: so eh. so let me ask you this would you consider jurassic park the jurassic park movies as a form of light horror maybe well, they're monster movies so yeah.
0: yeah they're kind of they're they're there are so monster movies have an interesting place because to me, okay, pure opinion here, a lot of them are science fiction films. You go back in the classics, the the radioactive exposure turn, you know giant ants. Yes. You know, them is is it's a science fiction film. And like science fiction and horror both are often used to talk about something going on in the world. And of course, the bomb had dropped. Godzilla, of course, is a monster movie, but it's also a cautionary tale. It's, a, it's about, you know, and it, it's like Akira, Kira, right? Mm-hmm. The first and darkest of the Godzilla films, the one that is played completely straight. Right. And the
1: 1954, yeah, the original.
0: Yeah, it yeah. is very much a film about having the bomb dropped on their country. You know, and so horror and science fiction both have ways of talking about the cultures and the times that you're in sometimes the way that you can uh uh you know talk about things you can't talk about openly when it's one of the things we saw with maybe a little bit with some of the russian films from, from foreign bodies is that you can actually be a little subversive in there mm-hmm. um and talk about things in Sometimes it's, sometimes it's even handed. Sometimes it's heavy handed. You look at the purge movies, there's a point, you know, and, and that's, and that's fine. Your, your mileage is going to vary when it comes to, um, you know, what you want to watch, but yeah.
1: Mazers in the chat says, uh, sorry I haven't been around. But you are you are welcome and it is always good to have you back. Robert uh, saying, get Tim to define the difference between horror and monster movies if there is one. I think I think it's it, it is there is a distinction to be made because King Kong is a monster movie, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a horror movie. It's it's beauty and the beast type of thing. And it's not so much scary as it is intense, I guess, would be the, the distinction. I'd the that I'd The same
0: thing with, with Jurassic Park in many ways. I mean, certainly I'm sure that there are folks who were scared The, you know, the, the very first film, the dinosaurs are incredibly impressive. Yeah. You know, and I was in the theater when a crowd a packed theater on opening night and you could literally hear the audience just gasp. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were that impressed, and so yes, being chased by a T Rex is undoubtedly very scary.
1: Must go faster. But... Must go faster.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it, but they're monster movies, yeah. and and I think that one of the things that they they I, and again, it's going kind of, it's going kind to of depend on the person, but they hit us differently in the wiring. Um, a lot of the a lot of horror films tend to be very very personal. Uh, you can you can break them down there's a there's a guy with a knife coming after me, yeah, or there you know in, or it's it's a lot easier to put yourself in the mindset of someone who's being stalked by an abusive ex or a serial killer and you, you can see yourself there. most of us don't see ourselves being chased down by dinosaurs sure uh, and so there's a different kind of thrill to it, yeah.
1: Mazers in the chat says, Japanese horror, fantasy, and sci-fi all contain regularly inserted elements of post-apocalyptic themes. Sure. King Kong is an origin story. Uh, also, King Kong's enemies are monsters, not just the T-Rex, but the deleted giant spider scene from the original, which reinforces it being a monster flick.
0: Uh, I would agree. And, and in many ways, in the original King Kong, it's he only kind of loses to the planes. I mean, he's, there's, a, there's a lot more, there's the tragedy of kind of the broken heart. There's the, uh, you know, though he's wounded and the fall, the fall does him in. And yeah. it was good duty that killed the beast. But, you know, the, in the end, uh, you know, Kong is the hero of that story. Uh, certainly in the minds of the audience
1: yeah, because of uh, yeah. how he's treated the 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 humans are the monsters. And how many how many movies are there like that where you know, you start off thinking that the monster is re- is the monster, but the monster actually really turns out to be us.
0: There's a that's a trope. It's a, it's a, you, yeah. tvtropes.com, you know, big humans are Cthulhu. And it is that the 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 tentacle nightmare monster is us. You know, watch out for, you know, watch out when the, friend, the friendly aliens arrive. They're going to be in trouble.
1: Yeah, <laughs> We can do some pretty horrific things to each other or just without, no, I I... without any help from the outside. It's a skill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We've worked it up over centuries. It's a, it's a talent.
1: <laughs> Fire and brimstone and hammers and mallets and spears and, yeah.
0: Well, and there's something to be said for, I think, looking at horror and science fiction working together to tell very unnerving kinds of personal stories. I mean, again, Invasion of the Body Statues, the person next to you yeah. is not who you think they are. And you might not even be who you think you are. Um, there's a, there's some Philip K. Dick riffs in there, since they lot. The question of who you are and, and your loss of identity, and how that can be nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um, Under the Skin, uh, Scarlett Johansson's mm. horror film, mm-hmm. which is uh, not, again okay, any stretch of the imagination, a fast-paced film, but it's kind of relentless, and it's
1: <clears throat> maybe it, it, maybe Life Force in that same category.
0: Yes. Yes. And that's the Life Force is interesting because it is a It's a B movie. It's such a B movie.
1: (laughs) It is very much,
0: but it's an alien invasion film. Yeah, a very slow invasion. What?
1: A very slow invasion.
0: Well, that's (laughs) because everyone stops to go. My goodness, isn't that young woman cold?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. Surely,
0: surely she must be chilly in this London air. Yeah. But uh, you know, but it's a. But it's space vampires, yeah. and interestingly enough, it's based on a book called "Space Vampires."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Robert in the chat says, "Anyone else think Foo Fond Fang, Marvel's Godzilla?" Ping, fang, Fing Fang Foom. Fing Fang Foom wearing blue jeans is a clever nod to giant lizards' Americanness. I'm not familiar with Marvel's Godzilla. Fing Fang Foom. I'm I well, have no opinion about that. Godzilla was a mar- was actually a Marvel property for a while. I remember they did have the license, yeah.
0: And uh, the Shogun Warriors, if you remember those toys from way back in the day, yeah, uh, they actually they had their own comic series and they fought Godzilla and Shield fought Godzilla at one point. <laughs> Godzilla was all over the place, um, so maybe so- we could
1: have Godzilla show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
0: Well, uh, just. Let's ask Disney. Can we at have, this point, can, the fact can, that they don't own the American rights to Godzilla yeah. is kind of amazing. Or yeah, do they? Um, dun, dun, dun.
1: Well, Lionsgate probably should have the have it for a number of years still. So I don't do you know.
0: Think so. Mm. Um, now you get into you can get to some some hair splicing here. So if you look at a film like. You know, I, I we just talked about how Frankenstein is science fiction and horror. Mm-hmm. And you have know, it's like a film like Reanimator. Yeah. Okay, you've got an evil scientist and the serum, but I think they lean into the horror side of it so much that the science fiction is basically here's the thing what starts the thing,
1: right? I think most zombie, any kind of reanimation stories probably go that route because yeah, you have the inciting incident, as we call it in writer's class, but for the most part, your zombie flicks are zombie-chasing non-zombies, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And, you know, it's like you see with The Walking Dead, for example. We start with zombies. There's no real, clear explanation for what started it all. It's just, here it is. This is the world now. They're zombies. Even though Nobody's ever heard of zombies, apparently, in this world, and they don't have exactly. maps. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dustin and I have often wondered what the, the, the big horror push is in that world. Yeah. Right? Is, it, is it the slasher movie? Because, I mean, th- there's no zombie films. So is it, what is it? Is it the slasher movie? Is it the monster movie? What is the what is the you know maybe the it's, horror
1: series you can't get away from? Maybe it's alien invasions. Could be. I don't know.
0: Although That's... you never hear them talk about, you know, thinking that aliens caused this. So probably yeah. not. You just never know. Uh, it. You get into some really clever things. Uh, and we've seen this first. We've talked about this with, with how lower budget films end up being requiring you to be clever mm-hmm. when you don't have a lot of money to pull off what you want to do there's a Canadian film called The Cube and oh, yes. it's a science fiction film
1: it's got a couple of it's sequels all, too right
0: it's, well, so, so The Cube is an <laughs> interesting example of how not to do sequels um, <laughs> because the first film is it's a, sci- it's a near future science fiction setting yeah. and our characters are trapped in an experiment and one by every time you go through from one cube, they each one has a there's a door in the floor in the, in the center of each of each side of the cube. And you go through that, and the next room has a good chance of killing you. And they have to figure out how to make their way safely through this maze of cubes. But they don't know why they're there, they don't know who put them there. Um, and there's an air of mystery. And of course, what's clever for the filmmakers is that they took one cube as a set mm-hmm. and they lit it differently and dressed it differently and, and were able to use the same set again and again. I've done that. Unfortunately, what the sequels did is the second one leaned into the science fiction aspect super hard and took away the mystery mm. aspect. And they tried to explain things, and then, well, and they also made it a hypercube, which on one hand sounds cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. Does that except- mean everything moves at warp speed? They're all going through <laughs> these cubes faster? They die quicker?
0: Actually, the, the time travels at different rates in different rooms.
1: Yeah, that would be kind of interesting
0: but you have to have some sort of consistency or figure out a way to have something resembling a sense of internal logic. Yeah. Even if, even if it doesn't appear that way initially, and this film does not. And, and the third film attempts to go back to that sort of uh, mysterious, lower tech feel and be, be a prequel, mm-hmm. um, but it also sets up a world where you start asking, hang on, how does this culture (laughs) actually work? That doesn't make any sense. And you're thinking more about the outside world than what's going on inside the cube, which is not the way it works.
1: Which one of those is Nicole in? She's in the first one, right? Oh, yeah. Esri? Yeah.
0: I really think the first one is a very disturbing film because it makes you ask the question. And, of course, really good storytelling often does, whether it's science fiction, horror, drama, romance, whatever it is, is how much these people's lives were controlled on a whim, how mm-hmm. someone chose them to be part of this. Yeah. And for some of them, you, could, you can have an argument why they're there and some of them you really don't. And so it's this sense of powerlessness. It kind of leans back into some of the same kind of nightmare fuel that, that 1984 generates or Brave New World or some of these, these looks into a future that on one hand, Might be more orderly and and might seem to be a little more uh, run a little more effectively, but the human element ends up going out the the window. Uh, And then you can push that over into absurdity with something like Terry Gilliam's Brazil, which is 1984, with a touch more absurdity. There's a whole lot of night. There's a whole lot of Brazil, which is really, really good old school nightmare fuel. Yeah. It would
1: you would you consider. 1984, because 1984 is futurism,
0: it's as, a dystopian as future. is.
1: Yeah, it's a dystopian future, as is Brave New World. But would you would you think that either of those has horror aspects? to them. I mean, 1984 kind of does, but it's not really so much I'm I'm wondering if you could apply a body horror filter to some of that because of the mind bending and the brainwashing and the You know the behavior modification and and that sort of thing, but I I, maybe skating, you know, skating a line there that maybe it's horror, but maybe not so much. You can,
0: you can, you can. The thing is, is that a lot of things can scare people, and of course, at the core of a horror film or horror story is that it makes you uneasy, it makes you, it, it it disturbs you. Yeah. So you can have a lot of films that are are. Thrillers, and if you were to go to your, you know, your Netflix or your YouTube or whatever, whatever, however you're watching your stuff, seeing it on Hulu or whatever, you can find the thriller category, right? Right. And you can see it, and they tend to be kind of police procedurals and things like that, the murder mysteries in some ways. But then you have the crossover thing, like *Silence of the Lambs*, which you can argue is a horror movie. Oh, because unquestionably. It is, but it's also a police procedural. Yeah. And it's also a thriller. And it's also a character study of a young woman dealing with a lot. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot on her plate. Uh, and she manages to, you know, do quite well by the end. Spoiler alert. But it is a horror movie. And I think that you can go you can say the same thing about Seven. It's a horror film. Oh, Yeah. But yeah, it's also absolutely. a police procedural and a thriller. And so mm-hmm. you get into these things where, you know, there's a lot of the horror film boundaries are nebulous. So, sure, I want, and, you know, somewhere inside, you've got the axe wielding maniac, and you've got the monster from beyond space and time, and you've got, you know, the runaway genetic virus that mutates you into whatever. Um, but when you get out to the edges, You know, I mean, there's a, there's a TV show. uh, What is it? Um, Oh gosh, I can't remember. Is it Us or something? Um, No, it's not Us. Uh, It's about a serial killer who falls in love. And I'm not talking about Dexter. Oh, Uh, uh, I just talked about uh, it on Saturday. I
1: don't know.
0: (laughs) Anyway, you could, you could have these shows that are basically, they're a mix of horror Mm -hmm. and, you know, I guess romance. I haven't seen the show. I can't speak to it. So,
1: so here's an idea. All right. You have you're on a spaceship. It's exposed to an alien disease parasite that turns some of the people and, and it's genetically oriented, so you get your science right. It turns some of the people into zombie vampires. It turns other people into psychotic killers who just find anything that they can for for weapons and and they're just going to bludgeon everybody and you got one guy who's immune to all of it who's the space cop who has to figure out who's who's what right um, and and some of them get turned into dinosaurs on a spaceship
0: okay so <laughs> once you add the dinosaurs on a spaceship you're doing, but up until that point you were describing the plot to pandora a film starring Dennis Quaid, Uh um, which is a science fiction film about a colony ship where one of the crew members wakes up and he discovers that everything is falling apart and there are these strange creatures and the only humans that he meets are extremely violent and fighting for their lives and he doesn't remember who he is and discovers that the only other member of the crew, played by Dennis Quaid, um may or may not be trustworthy no. and it's it's a decent not great not great decent science fiction uh, thriller more than anything it it tends to there's there's some scary moments in terms of leaning into the these were once human mm-hmm. um kind of things, but it's a lot more of just a straight up science fiction thriller with with some horror tones but
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to posit that the movie Moon. Oh yeah, with no uh, question, it's a horror film. Yeah, th- because you know he's he's learning. I would you consider cl- the, cl- the clony aspects of it body horror maybe?
0: Um, I'd say from his point of view, it certainly would be.
1: I mean, it's, circ- it's certainly a psychological thing. I mean, he's he's figuring out that things are not what they're supposed to be. And as right, and his he, said, men- he mentally unravels, I think, then you start getting into the horror aspects of living alone.
0: Well, living alone and realizing you're disposable. And yeah. you've always been considered to be disposable. You have no control over your life.
1: Well, not and, only that, but you're not who you think you are.
0: Right, right. And that's, uh, and that, you know, loss of identity um, is something that figures into horror a lot. Yeah. Again, we can, we can loop back around to the science fiction and, and horror of, say, Philip K. Dick. Um, you know, that sense of who we are and when that shatters. Um, yeah, that's, not, that, that's definitely the nightmare fuel. And I think one of the things about Moon is that it does something that some horror, we we see a lot of this now. The A24 films lean into this, which is slow pacing, build a sense of dread, build a sense of unease, Mm -hmm. wait until you get to the end, and then it's like, and now let the nightmares begin <laughs> and, would, and then moves over.
1: <laughs> would you say that's <laughs> almost that's almost uh, a Hitchcock type of of pacing in some of those? Because some of his yes, some of his films are slow burns.
0: Well, and there's, and the, the trick is with slow burns is to make this the to keep you gripped the entire time. Yeah. and And to recognize that, you know, there's. One of the reasons that Halloween is one of the greatest horror films of all time and is consistently called that by so many people and generation after generation at this point is because Carpenter understood pacing. And it does, you know, Halloween has a very low body count compared to a lot of horror films. It doesn't move very fast. There's a whole lot of emptiness in that story, but it works because. He ratchets the tensions and ra- and ratchets them again and then turns around and ratchets up the tension and keeps you gripped and waiting Yeah, because you don't know when it's going to hit you. And you know something's
1: coming, up. but yeah, you, you know, it's it's there. Um, well, and and I think what was it? I keep seeing every now and again, I'll see a clip. There's a there's a clip, I think, from the first movie. And this is one of those things where you don't think about it until somebody points it out. But you know how the human eye works when you get when you adjust to you know light or dark. You're you're you, it takes a moment for you to mm. to sure. see. And there's apparently a scene, I haven't seen Halloween again. Not a horror fan here, but there's apparently a scene in the first Halloween movie where Michael Myers is standing in the dark in the doorway. And what they do with the lighting is basically kind of gradually pull the light up on the mask. So it's as if your eyes are adjusting to the dark and now suddenly you can see him in the doorway. And there he is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They did some very, very clever ways to make you wonder what was going to happen next yeah. and take things out from underneath you in terms of you think things are going to go one way and then they change and and to some degree um it's a masterclass. and even even carpenter had a hard time following up on that because halloween too which he did not want to make <laughs> um you know leans a lot more into the gore which is some great gore effects no question but it doesn't have the same level of tension mm-hmm. and then pretty much you know beyond that point um you know it, it's a tough thing to do to if you get it right once the fact that hitchcock gave us as many scares as he first of course, Hitch- Hitchcock also tortured his casts and crew. <laughs> so he, the horror show was going on all the way around. Yeah. From from most accounts, but um, there are. It's it's a tough thing to do. It's not easy. So to let make me. Stuff that, that scares you decade after decade. Yeah.
1: So let me ask you this: Which is the better kind of horror? I'm going to put you on the spot uh because you have the psychological tension horror mm-hmm. and then you have the body horror gore blood guts slasher type horror they're they're both horror they're different aspects of horror sure. you know and the monster movie is kind of in there somewhere because depending on the monster the monster is ripping you apart or the monster is chasing you and it's scary Which Which is better? Which is the more effective horror for a general audience? We'll we'll paint with a broad brush.
0: Okay, with a broad brush, I would say, for a general audience, for for the folks who don't think of themselves as horror fans, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, The psychological horror is going to be a better entry point because you can do a lot with psychological horror. And again, you can argue that Seven, Silence of the Lambs, they can argue they're psychological horror films, uh, because there is an aspect of you know, the messing with your head, mm-hmm. you know, questioning, making you question the truth of things. And there's a you know, dramatic story about murder and and human monsters. Yeah. Uh in there very much. And of course, seven, of course, goes up to the goes into the body horror visually. You get, you get to see the representation of of what, you know. This character is doing to his victims. Um, but it also is a compelling police procedural starring two very compelling actors. So for a mod for for a wider audience, that's kind of an entry way in. And you can still, if you can, if you if you don't find because some people just don't like gore. They just mm-hmm. don't like. You know, they don't like that level of violence. That's fine.
1: You're saying you're saying two compelling actors. There are actually three in there. Which two are you thinking of? I mean, Morgan Freeman is a given.
0: Um, I would say, actually, at that particular point, I would argue that Brad Pitt was not at his best. Right. I would say that Brad Pitt, if we're going to, to look at careers, um, he's good in that movie. But if you put him and Kevin Spacey and Morgan Freeman, however you feel about Kevin Spacey, Mm -hmm. he's brilliant in that movie. And Morgan Freeman is brilliant in that movie. And.
1: Well, and as Brad Pitt's character starts to unravel, doesn't that kind of fall in line? I mean, whatever, whatever was going on in his life in, in real life, um, Maybe kind of adds to it, really. I would think almost because it was, was he going. Let's, I'm trying to think because as much as it surprises people, I haven't really followed Brad Pitt that relig- religiously. What? So, yeah, I know, I know, crazy, I know. I know. Um. You would you would think because, you know, he's he's been with Angelina Jolie. He's been with Jennifer Aniston. I mean, he, yeah, yeah. But no, I have not. I, I have not. Followed you let your,
0: you but, let your TMZ subscription lapse Yeah.
1: So <laughs> I'm not sure. Was he was he in the middle of breaking up with with who at that point? What was.
0: Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I know that the, the it was, Mr. It was Aniston,
1: right? He was Mr. with Aniston first.
0: It was Anderson first, but, okay. but Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I think, was the film where, where he was getting involved with Jolie. But, uh-huh. um, but no, I think, I mean, he's, he's perfectly fine in the film, but yeah. um, when you put the three of them up against each other, you know, um, we discovered that Kevin Spacey's really good at being creepy. Ah.
1: Hmm. Um, well, uh, and Morgan Freeman's good at anything you put him in.
0: Well, and he, he, Morgan Freeman is one of those actors who just carries gravitas.
1: Because no, he's easy reader.
0: He's uh, he's got a voice that is has really kind of made itself into the consciousness, and I think that there's there yeah. aren't that many actors who you know that if you hear that voice, you know, even if he's even if he's doing something silly like a Lego movie, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that voice that voice you know, grabs you. So it's fantastic. Tom Kane,
1: um, Tom Kane tells the story of when he first got into voice acting and, and he's told this story on our channel a couple of different times. Um, where as, as a younger guy, he still had a fairly deep, you know, mm-hmm. rich voice and he was able to do some of these things And apparently somebody found out about his Morgan Freeman impression. And it was good enough to fool a number of people because apparently he used it on something. And somebody was like, how'd you get Morgan Freeman for this? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. Um, But he he does a very good... Uh, it, a very good impression of Morgan Freeman. Uh, Mazers in the chat says, first time I saw Morgan Freeman was on The Electric Company as a little kid. That's right. Easy reader.
0: Same. Um, yep. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for a certain generation of viewers, yeah, that's exactly where we saw Morgan Freeman.
1: And I have to admit, I made the mistake because I, for for a long time, and I don't know why this was, but for a long time, I was thinking that Morgan Freeman and Easy Reader had been part of the Sesame Street production, but they weren't. They were on an electric company. Oh. And I don't know how I met, uh, mixed those up. Because well, you, had, you, you know. had Gordon. Gordon was on Sesame Street and, and Easy Reader was an electric company. But I was thinking they were both on Sesame Street. And I don't know why. I Possibly
0: I, because Sesame Street's more tied into our childhood consciousness than electric it could company be. i mean i think i think we remember it yeah. but it doesn't now, have the electric company reach, besides
1: besides having rita moreno electric company also had uh the spider-man mm-hmm. the spider-man stuff and blue beetle oh, right. do you remember blue beetle Do you remember the song he used to sing i'm not going to sing it I'm not sure I do. I would <laughs> if I could, but I can't. I can't so, so I, won't. I won't. Please forgive, forgive me if I don't. Me. And because he I basically am. they painted they painted Blue Beetle out to be a coward. He's like, no, I don't want to do anything like that. I'm not gonna be a hero. <laughs> uh... yep. yeah, I think I think that the one thing that,
0: that we look at with with science fiction and horror is that science fiction horror that that ties into science fiction is often about the fear of technology Mm -hmm. the fear of the future um the fear of the unknown when it comes to going out into space um of course it's a giant it's a great big universe and we're really puny um and so the idea that there's dangers out there which is a which is a reasonable assumption you know oh absolutely You know, we don't know what's on other planets. We don't know what's out there. There's a good chance that something does have teeth. And, and it, it's wonders, it wonders, wonders if he...
1: on the waters of the moon. Do you see yeah. that? Do you see so, that yeah. water on the moon? How how crazy is that?
0: Well, you know, just what's swimming in the water? <laughs> does it have teeth? You know, so
1: I it, mean, these are. Is it going to hatch? <laughs>
0: Moons don't hatch. Sorry, they just don't. Um, You know, the thing is, is that science fiction horror has that, you know, um, the technological thing is often at the core of it, okay? It's the runaway technology. It's, uh, you know, um, the matrix is, the premise of the matrix is pure, straight up, you know, nightmare fuel. You're strapped to a machine and being used as a battery. Okay, it's incredibly inefficient, by the way, and the machines should know better.
1: But... See, now, I had an idea. When I was in high school, my best friend and I, we came up with this idea for a story where the people of the Earth were living in a simulation because the aliens had invaded in 1939... When, you know, the whole War of the Worlds, when the Martians evaded, that actually happened. Sure, right. mm-hmm. But as part of the aftermath, they put everybody into chambers and said, you're not going to remember any of it. And it's not really so much that they're being used for batteries is for food. And the times where we mm-hmm. have world wars is when yeah. they harvest a great collection of them for the big banquets when they had visitors come to the planet. And go. this was this whole elaborate. We had this whole elaborate thing, and then the Matrix comes out. We're just like ah, missed it by that much. Because <clears throat> some, some of them, some of them woke up, and mm-hmm. so now you're going in a cross country chase. Uh, you know, because all of the all of the technology stopped in 1939, so you don't mm. have you know. Cell phones and computers, anything. It's all a fabrication. It's all a fiction. So now how do you wake up thinking that you're in the late 20th century when you're actually not and you don't have any of these conveniences at all? And now you have to survive on your wits with technology from the 30s. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been well. Plus, you know, if it, 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 stuff that old's just been sitting around, how much you know? What kind of condition's or, are going to be in? Yeah,
0: so you know, all, all those tires are rotted. Um.
1: <laughs> it was. It was one of those things. I was like, "Oh man, the Matrix came out. I don't know. <laughs> Throw that one away." Anyway, well,
0: there's a lot of great, a lot of great horror and science fiction hybrids, and you know, some of them are you know, you might think of the classics but there's a lot of ones that are smaller films that aren't necessarily classics peter weller's uh, um, uh oh for heaven's sake screamers oh yeah which philip k dick again um which the one of the reasons that philip k dick comes up so much in this is that a lot of the adaptations of his stories um change significantly from the story or the novel to the finished product we got in the theaters on t- or on TV. But there's a lot of sense of questioning identity, of questioning reality in those. So they lend themselves well to this sort of
1: thing. Yeah.
0: But um, Screamers is, you know, runaway, you know, they, there's a war going on and one side develops you know, uh, autonomous uh, killing machines and the other side does too. And you end up with this sort of murder bot uh tech war and the problem is is that when all is said and done they don't stop and right. there aren't that many of us left on this planet and therefore you know and and at some point they sat there and realized that the best thing you can do if you want to do your murder bot job is disguise yourself as a human so you know then there's that paranoia and fear and you can't trust what you see and are people who they say they are yeah there's a you know, works into the psychological <laughs> aspects of it. It's a mixed bag movie, I'm gonna say. Sure. But Peter Weller's great at it.
1: Well, speaking of uh, people what you can trust and things you can trust, we 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 hope that you trust us for some of these recommendations and discussions and whatnot. And we're going and, and you can trust us to give you a discount it, that's a ham fisted transition, I know, but we've Not got your t- finest a 10% discount code over at sci fi for uh, albert superhero stuff.com. Use the promo code sci fi for me 10. I'll get it out here in a second. And you get 10% off your order. Uh, it can be used in combination with other offers and stuff. That's, uh, you know, we're past an hour. That's, uh, it seems like a good spot to, to stop and pause and reflect on the fact that we are almost through the scary times at least as far as the the political scene goes i don't know well i don't know we could get a we could get a part 2 depending on uh depending on who who how much how much fighting there is over the results of the election Ugh, i'm not looking forward to that but, yes, we will take next week off. Uh, we do encourage you to go vote. Uh, go vote your conscience. Do your research. Don't just blindly say whatever. Um, you know, do your homework. Be smart about it. And we will be back in two weeks' time on this show. In the meantime, we do invite you to check out uh, Foreign Bodies, which will be a Harder for Me production. It starts on Saturday. Uh, be looking at all of our social media. We will give you a time. It's probably going to be midday, but I'm not sure yet. A lot of it just depends on some of our statistics here. So, uh, so be looking for that tomorrow night. A brand new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news, and then we'll be discussing all of that. So the 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 first episode of season two of The Mandalorian is Friday. So we'll be talking about that on the ranker Pit. So we do invite you to join us there. And uh, as always, make sure that your notifications are on. Be subscribed to the channel. Now that we're over 1,500, we have to set a new goal. And I'm perfectly fine with that. So uh, thanks, everybody, in the chat for your participation in the That's conversation. Up. We for do sure. we do appreciate your thoughts. If you have uh, uh, thoughts that you'd like to share if you're watching or or listening to this after it's live, Uh, You can leave a comment or you can send us an email, uh, h2o at sci-fi-for-me.com. Tell your friends about us, and uh, don't forget to uh, leave a thumbs up on your way out, and we will be back here in two weeks. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program
0: may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.